Welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Beetlejuice will forever hold a very special place in my heart. It wasn't only my quintessential gateway horror movie, but it shaped a lifelong, unapologetic appreciation for all things weird and macabre. The movie had a lightning in a bottle combination of a devilishly rebellious spirit and just a singularity of vision that introduced the world to the wonders of Tim Burton. It was and forever will be an iconic and magical movie. Every Saturday morning, Beetlejuice was my go-to cartoon and my VHS of the movie practically melted from being watched so much. I had the Halloween costume as a child and as a grown-up. And at the age of six years old, I got a timeout for making my Beetlejuice action figure say, nice fucking model, in the first grade. Needless to say, Beetlejuice is a part of me. The movie is just as sacred to countless others for the same reasons, which is probably why the Beetlejuice sequels and remakes have remained in production hell for decades. How can you possibly reimagine a classic that means so much to so many people? The answer is turn it into a musical. Despite being a little apprehensive at first, what struck me within the first 10 minutes of Beetlejuice the musical was that it was developed with a tremendous amount of love and respect for the original movie. The show encompasses all of the many facets of what made the movie so great while expanding on the story in ways that are equal parts inventive and reverential. It even has several nods to the cartoon, which just plain made me happy. This is a killer show, and I urge you to go see it. The costumes, the music, the humor, and the insanely elaborate Burton-esque sets and visuals are an overwhelming and straight-up blissful experience for fans of the original. Plus, the anarchistic spirit of lewdness and rudeness from the original movie is retained in full force. I don't know what else to say other than Beetlejuice the Musical is downright fucking awesome and it completely floored me. I was so blown away by this musical, I was really, really, really looking forward to talking to these guys. So without further ado, here is Scott Brown and Anthony King, the writers of Beetlejuice the Musical. Huge, tremendous congratulations on Beetlejuice the Musical. I, uh, I, I was lucky enough to get to see it in previews and uh, was totally blown away. Oh, great. This was an IP that's been very close to my heart since I was a child. It literally is part of my identity. Is <laughs> I'm that close to Beetlejuice. This is where you pull up your pants and we see the striped socks. Yes. <laughs> Just my whole leg is tattooed with yeah. uh, Beetlejuice stripes. Yeah. I have Deo tattooed on my ass. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I feel like there's a lot of people like me who really, really loved the movie and it meant so much to them. Was it intimidating to approach such a beloved IP? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, we also love it. So I think we, for, I guess we decided early on, like there were some things that we thought were untouchable and just, and we had to just completely grab onto and go, this is what Beetlejuice is. Uh, and then we felt like there were things that we could like repurpose, um, but still honor. And then there were things that we were like, 
we wanted to change. Uh, not because we don't like the movie, but because early on we it was decided that Lydia was going to be the main character of the musical, and she's obviously not the main character of the movie. Uh, and so things had to shift around, you know, to tell that story. Uh, but we wanted to keep the spirit of Tim Burton, the spirit uh, of Beetlejuice, uh, especially the character, while not just having a Michael Keaton impression. Right. Obviously, his genius is such a huge part of yeah. that character. No, of yeah. course. Yeah. Yeah, I got into a conversation with my girlfriend after we saw the musical. Like, who else could have played Beetlejuice on uh, in the movie? I came up with Jack Nicholson. That could have been Yeah, that, that would have been, been fascinating. That would have been fascinating. Yeah. That was such a weird I remember like being that age and like when when they announced that Keaton was going to be Batman. Yeah. Being so surprised because I didn't know Keaton. I mean, I was, was relatively young and I didn't know Keaton from any of his other work other than like Beetlejuice, basically. Mm-hmm. I don't think I Mr. Mom, and you love Mr. I, Mom. I did love Mr. Mom. <laughs> I was like, I want to be that guy. But, but it was, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was when they announced that, and it was almost like when you saw it was Keaton and 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 Nicholson in 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 Batman. It was almost right. kind of like, wait, wasn't he just basically a Jack Nicholson crazy guy kind of character <laughs> in this other movie? It was. Yeah. I remember yeah. thinking like, oh, that's so weird. Yeah, but uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, with the, with that in mind, I got to say, it was so clear that the property was in very loving hands. Oh, it good. It was so clear. Because, oh, I mean, you go to something like this, this is a meaningful story to a lot of people. And the yeah. minute before the curtain comes up, there's that tinge of anxiety, like, oh, shit, what if they don't? What <laughs> right. if they don't? Do it? <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I literally was moved to tears at how oh, awesome good. it was and how celebratory it was. It was just so blissful for me as a Beetlejuice fan as and a horror fan and a, you know, a Broadway fans so again huge bravo to both you guys it was, oh, thank it was you. so thank you. much fun. i mean that thank means you. a lot that people yeah. who love the movie also like the show because i mean that would we would be devastated if people were like, yeah. i love the movie and you ruined it um, <laughs> <laughs> it would be so horrifying i mean just like the sense our sense memory of beetlejuice is so strong you know i think that's also what we wanted and it just kind of like the feelings that beetlejuice evoked even even if like specific plot points and structures have to change because it's a musical because it's on stage right because the you know because Lydia is the main character and the Lydia Beetlejuice dynamic is what we're trying to foreground you know when those things change we hope we can just preserve kind of that feeling that we had when we were like you know 12 or 13 years old and just loving this kind of celebration of anarchy and unexpected emotion and you know and kind of like the triumph of weird people sort right. of <laughs> right. <laughs> sort of right you know. well how did you guys approach that like what were, what were the steps in from day one when you knew you were doing it how did you approach the story what was the research process how did you figure out what the, you wanted to cover and I, what I you were gonna do I think the first thing was we we decided Lydia was gonna be the main character and we wanted Beetlejuice who's you know only in the movie for like 12 minutes mm-hmm. uh, seriously be, it's like like 12 or 13 minutes. oh yeah, yeah that's right it's, it's crazy he's barely in the movie and so at uh we and so we decided we wanted them to kind of be dual protagonists and antagonists, uh, and so then everything kind of shifted around that. And so we had to ask questions that aren't really explained in the movie, like what is Beetlejuice doing? Right? <laughs> Why is he there? <laughs> like, uh, in, you know, in the movie, he's just hanging out in the model, right. <laughs> uh, and he wants to scare people. Um, but getting a little more like kind of like understanding of where that's coming from and what he why he wants the, all of that. Uh, and because in a musical, people have to sing, so there's a little bit more emotional depth you just have to mine mm-hmm. uh, for for characters to make a musical. It's right. just so funny. Things are so much more literal on stage too, because when you say since so like what what's Beetlejuice doing? Oh, he's hanging out in a model. It's like, well, well where is he standing? What 
does that mean? Like mm-hmm. spatially, what is that? I mean, so those things become so concrete that like you can't elide the sort of logic of yeah, things. Not right. to mention it's hard way. to like, zoom into a model on stage. Right. right. <laughs> so, and we try we try to move the like, whole theater closer. The model was one to, of the first like, things that, oh, well, that, that went. No, we uh, never tried. <laughs> the model is one of the first things that that we kind of were like, I think we have to move away from that yeah. idea. Even though because part of it for me was that also the look of the model in the movie is so great and also already looks like a set um, that it's like, if we put that on stage, are we just copying the movie uh, in in a way? And then, and so it was like, well, maybe we can, we we grabbed onto this idea of the house being the kind of central thing and it changing multiple times through through the show uh, as our kind of like leading uh, visual cue instead of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it made sense. There's a lot of things that were streamlined, like they died in the house, which I thought right. made perfect right. sense. Yeah. Like, how, how are you going to do it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. No, it's like your Miss Saigon you. covered bridge thing is going to come down <laughs> yeah. and we're going to drive an actual car off. And we've already, and we've already spent $75 million in the first three minutes. <laughs> no, but I'm sure that allows you to mine other material that wasn't covered in the movie, like you'd said before, which That's was, right. that was the most fascinating thing about it is it rounded out the, I thought it, it added depth to the movie because it's these things that you just didn't think about with the movie like and another influence that the sh- we really that really was that we thought a lot about while we were making the show was the Beetlejuice cartoon I was gonna bring that up mm-hmm. I yeah, noticed that because we I mean we watched that a lot as kids and and in that Beetlejuice and Lydia are, are like pals yeah uh, he's almost like her magical pet mm-hmm. uh, and <laughs> who's like causing chaos and so that and so a lot of the second act of the musical is kind of t- is from that idea of like now they're together they're kind right. of a unit and then things fall apart but um, we wanted that spirit of of that as well which you don't really get I mean in the movie they talk twice I think and then he right. tries to marry her right yeah. <laughs> it is strictly an extortion relationship yeah, right, right, I mean, like that right. and people I think forget that because they because they did see the cartoon afterwards where they were kind of pals and Beetlejuice was a little bit harmless and mm-hmm. they think back on the movie and think oh yeah they were kind of hanging out and doing stuff and you go back and it's like not at all really they, no. it's like he yeah. is not her he is not her friend is purely transactional and then it becomes a huge problem like, right yeah it was relatively creepy but yeah <laughs> it's, it's, it's very creepy. Yeah, creepy which which we try to drive straight into and address right you know, right no it's definitely wise to acknowledge all of that but the cartoon influence i totally saw in the second act one of my favorite scenes is when they're just it's just the two of them in the house together and then they're everybody who comes in the house they're just possessing and messing with yes yeah it was such a fun moment that just broke all the just it, it it totally reminded me of the cartoon. And oh, that was so oh, much yeah, fun. That's, it was like, that's, that's it's like sure they're, the they're most, buddies again. Yeah, that's the most cartoon part of the show, for sure. Yeah, it was really, really cool. Um, that's great. How did you guys get involved to begin with, with uh, with Beetlejuice? So we wrote this very strange show that ran off-Broadway called Gutenberg the Musical. Um, and Alex Timbers, who's directing Beetlejuice, directed that. Uh, and after we finished that, he was talking to Warner Brothers about doing a show and told them he wanted to do Beetlejuice and he wanted us to write it. And so then we got brought in to like, go. Oh, here's what we would do with it. Uh, and then many, many years later, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> <Very> cool. <laughs> but it was Alex who kind of brought us in. And uh, yeah. Um, and it was, you know, he's it's been that collaboration from the beginning. Very cool. And what was the process like in getting this whole thing coming together? I mean, obviously you write the book and then there's the music and then yeah. there's the design. And then how does that all kind of phase together? Because I'm sure one influences the other. But what was the process of the entire thing coming together? Well, when we started out, we didn't uh, have a composer. We were just kind of pitching out the story and talking about how we wanted to make it different from the movie, what we wanted to keep from the movie, that kind of stuff. And we would come up with these structures and even full scripts – 
where we would have um, places in the script where we would say, and then, you know, this is all building up to this song. This is what's going to happen in the song. Mm -hmm. It's a basic idea. And for a long time, that that was the script. It would just have these, yeah. like, these little bits of real estate for songs. Right. And at the same time, because Alex was involved as a director, we were having conversations with him about the concept of the show and the, and what how he was imagining the set. And like right. I said, this idea of like the house being a central thing and we're fighting over the house and whose house is it? Uh, and so we would write, that would shape how we were writing as well. Uh, and then pretty early in the process, Dave Corrins, who um, did the set, uh, is uh, was brought in um, okay. to also start talking about what's actually possible Right, <laughs> to, like, right. Transform the set and move to where we, because there were a lot of different ideas of like how we were going to use the house and what it was going to look like, and, right? And, and if parts that. of the house would move around, and if it's yeah. like, oh, we'll move a whole floor up here, and maybe that's a thing, and you know, I mean, it's for a while, it's kind of the sky's the limit so thinking. It was which kind is of great. exciting nice writing in some, that way yeah. with like thinking cool. about the end product at the same time as you're creating it, and then and then of course Eddie Perfect came on board to write the songs, and then that became its own collaboration of uh, him writing songs and us us him writing songs for things we had already pitched but us yeah. also rewriting for ideas he had and it was it's been a really great collaboration very cool but you're right it's it's like all those elements influence each other and when something else comes and when somebody new comes on board and things start to yeah. you know it, mm -hmm. it it has blowback effects into the show and you know and then yeah. the actors i mean when we started finding our actors and doing workshops with them i mean we really like because it's comedy once we had the people we liked, like writing toward what their strengths are too. Yeah. Uh, for comedy, it was like a big part of it um, because it's, and that comes from just like, I have a background in television and that's so mm -hmm. much of what you're doing is like right. setting up these people to succeed. <laughs> so, right. Uh, and so that was, there, all those influences were, and it was all, it's just been really kind of exciting to take this giant pot of people <laughs> yeah. to make this show. Yeah. That's super <laughs> cool. And you guys have been collaborators for a long time, right? Yeah. We've known each other since eighth grade. Yeah, Whoa. practically so. since probably since about when Beetlejuice came out or something. I mean, like it was it was it was not not long after. When you looking at each other like one day we're gonna make <laughs> no, a musical. It was like a master plan. <laughs> we cut our palms and took an oath and said someday we'll write a Beetlejuice musical. That's right. It was like that's so you know. <laughs> do that kids <laughs> well I feel like it's rare to have uh, writers who are such close collaborators what are the keys to your long standing collaboration uh, I would say shorthand and the ability to kind of like uh, get mad at each other and then drop it immediately yes. <laughs> that's that is so crucial yes realizing that like I remember once we once we were talking about uh, it was a scene where a uh, we'll get into details, but where a magic book was either opened or not opened, and there were various reasons why it could be opened or couldn't be opened, and we had a giant fight about that, and then later just said, "It's so great that we just had like a world-ending fight about a magic book that does not exist and why it could open or not open, and here we are having dinner." It's like that's uh, yeah, it's. Kind Very of cool. Wipe yeah. your feet at the door. Sort We're of, essentially but. like <laughs> brothers at this point, and so no fight actually is personal at this point. Right. <laughs> so, well, that's good. So we, well, we, we kind of know we kind of already know what the other one is gonna like, like or not like, or be resistant to right. or not resistant. So the, we, we, you know, there's a sort of a little bit of a sense of like, it's like here's something I know you're gonna love. Here's something I know you're gonna hate. <laughs> right. But I'm gonna try really hard to get it like as close to the five yard line as I can. And then yeah, so it's <laughs> cool. <laughs> So as yeah. you were writing this story, what were some of the kind of alternate plot directions you almost went in that were different from the final product? <laughs> I mean, well, there was, you know, because Lydia 
it, the biggest you know we Lydia's the main character and Lydia's mother is dead uh, which you don't know what happened to her mom in the movie uh, you know Delia is actually her stepmom in the in the movie um, it's barely mentioned but it is there because uh, there's cause like the one first, line first watch you kind of are like is she just calling her mom Delia because right. to be she's impertinent like, to be just or just weird or, or just because she's a, a right. teenager mm-hmm. and like you know but then there's one line I think in the scene where Delia is like making dinner or yeah, something. Yeah, they're, at, like they're that. at the dinner table. They're at the dinner table, and um, Delia says something. They say there's an exchange, and I can't actually remember what the actual line so is. So we, because I'm again, it's mom. a musical, and you have to plumb more emotion. We were, we were like, let's have her mom be dead, and then recently dead, so there's more tumult in their lives. Um, and uh, so then there was a question of, and then once we decided Lydia was the main character, we wanted Lydia to go to the netherworld. Uh, and so then there's the big question of, since she wants to find her her mother. Does she meet her mother or not? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were many different versions of that. Um, <laughs> and w- you know, we we tried versions where she met her mom. We tried versions where the Maitlands went with her to the Netherworld. Uh, and ultimately, that's not where we landed. But the um, the interesting thing for us was that in trying to write a scene where she's reunited with her mother, which on when you hear that, you're like, oh, it's going to be so emotional. It's going to be so great. But the but what we found, at least in our way of thinking, is like the truth is when someone dies, you don't get to see them again. And so the pain of that is what's relatable. It's actually not relatable to see them again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. So there's course. something just we're like, why is this? Why right. is this so hard? Why does this all seem it's it like it's like we're writing it in bad faith? Yeah. Like, like, I want to say all the things like, I didn't get to say, and it's like, well, the the relatable pain is that you don't get to say those things, right? And you have to let that go and live with it and move on. And then mm-hmm. that ended up being like, oh, that's what our show's about, right? Uh, and yeah. so going down those roads actually helped us yeah. kind of get to where we are. But it was an, int- that was a really interesting cause at first blush, you're like, it's going to be so great. She's going to see her mom again. And then you're like, Oh, this isn't good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now that occurred to me as I was watching it, I kept thinking, is she going to meet her mom? And then she doesn't spoiler alert listeners. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> It had she, it, I don't know, it, it would have been so difficult to do without it coming across as like a little contrite. And I think yeah. that sense of loss is way stronger. And it yeah. is a show about death. Right. So that that's exactly just right. Perfectly came and we wanted circle. to be a show about like, what do you do once you're in this place of grief? Do right. you, you know, and that the answer is reaching out to other people and finding a way forward mm-hmm. together. And so we try to set up this thing where like her father's just moving forward on his own he's trying yeah. to skip over and she doesn't right. and she's not moving forward she's at moving all. backwards yeah. to how it used to be uh, and they right, have listen to, meet. to the song so the answer yeah. is yeah. for them to see each other and go oh together we can do this and we just have to you know go through it mm-hmm. um but that is uh that was you know i think writing the version where she met her mom is how we got to that interesting yeah so sometimes it's important to go down different plot holes to arrive oh, yeah. at your oh, yeah for your sure if we one. hadn't done that i think we always would have wondered if there if that i think that would have haunted the yeah. show on some right. level i think you know we would have thought like oh did we just veer away maybe there's a really hard but really fulfilling scene we could have found there but since we did it first i think we knew it's like oh this is a bad faith argument this right. is not <laughs> actually what's at issue here right were there any ideas or concepts that were part- or musical numbers or scenes that were particularly hard to cut that you had to cut like any really painful ideas that you didn't oh, get to see on the stage m- many i mean yeah eddie I mean, wrote so many great songs yeah eddie's that, written a lot of ooh, the great wow. numbers uh 
through the through all of this that i mean we've gone through four opening numbers yeah I think, and uh some of them i really loved uh, some of them have been some of them pieces of them have reappeared in other songs yeah. and in the mm-hmm. opening number it's i mean it's fascinating to see how much creative destruction there is in this process yeah like, i mean in, in, we did the show that. out of town in washington dc and in washington the in the netherworld there was a big boy band number <laughs> and, which i always thought was really fun uh but it was very like what's what is going on right right <laughs> Uh, so and it was hard to say too because like it, it's not like it didn't it's not like it fell flat like audiences really loved that I mean we it went into funny. it thinking like it was this very is funny. pretty weird slash I don't know if this is really the way to go but we and couldn't then justify why it. it existed but no, it was not very at all. funny hmm. it's just one of those things that just kind of like happened its way into the show and we kind of like eh, but it, and yet it seems so delightful and everyone yeah. likes it so much right and then the time came as it comes for many things for it to just you know and I think Otho at different points had three different songs and like oh wow yeah, yeah. I mean there was least. you know and some of it is also I think the first time we ever did a reading of this the show is like over three hours long it was so long so, I mean, it was just like packed <laughs> I'm not even sure we got all the way to the end of it like I think at some point they were kind of like and that's been basically the show everybody yeah, can go home stop. now yeah <laughs> it's, it's like yeah i mean it's it's uh it's a process cool <laughs> was there anything interesting that you uncovered in your story research process because i know the original script for beetlejuice which not a lot of people realize was not tim burton's idea that's right oh, he yeah. picked that's very, it up that's right. yeah, there were strange. some sequel scripts floating around they were going to yeah. do a female beetlejuice at one point yeah what so did you guys I, discover um the original script is very dark um and like not really comedy even i mean no, I think there's a little bit of comedy in him but sort of an absurd horror kind it's of it's much more like, horror and like yeah. he is trying to kill everyone um and i think he kills lydia i think so or her sister yes her sister she has a she sister, has a sister mm. and he kills her sister who is uh, like bitten by a like rabid squirrel or something yeah, too. i mean it's, it's a very it's, crazy it's, it's, it's nuts i mean and i tried like crazy because they after beetlejuice was a success they greenlit beetlejuice goes hawaiian right uh which they never shot but the script was written and i tried like crazy to get it and i've never gotten it um because i would just i'm just like what could that be? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I would love. I mean, it's such. It's like a classic, terrible idea for a sequel to a movie. I think it's amazing you can't find it. I mean, I've, I've never it's crazy. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, they must have really said. I mean, it's like a well, day. It's, the cloud it's all pre internet. So well, it's pre internet. So, sure so no. So someone somewhere. would have to scan it. That's right. And that, like, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. somewhere in a vault next to but the day the, the cloud idea cried. that off of Beetlejuice <laughs> was like he should be Beetlejuice in Hawaii is just like oh no. Where did that come from? Yeah, yeah. And there's a reason why it's never made. And then there's been these rumors, obviously, of of a sequel for a while. And I know Seth Graham Smith wrote a script and I think someone now someone else has written a script, but I, d- I don't know if that's ever going to happen or not. Yeah. And what dawned on me was what was so refreshing about seeing this come to the stage is that everybody wants more from this world. Yeah. But a reboot, nobody wants that. A sequel. Yes. It's so, it's so risky, but to just reimagine everything on a stage and in a brand new format is, I think that's, it's the coolest way to refresh an IP. I never would, it never would have dawned on me, but it's, I think the so reason cool. we went there is I think because like we, we, we weren't that interested in writing. We're just putting the, the script on stage. And then, but also... And to their credit, the, the, the producers were not interested in that no. either. Yeah. And because, because we love the movie and we think that script is so great, it was, it was like to try to just approximate that would have been felt silly. And yeah. like we're just doing a carbon copy. But I think the bigger thing also is that I, I don't know how you even do anything exactly like what Michael Keaton did right? and not just feel like you're just trying to do a pale imitation of that. And yeah, so man. for us, it was like 
taking what Beetlejuice is at its core. He's this kind of like lounge singer, kind of uh, <laughs> yeah. gross, you know what I mean? Like gross guy that uh, who desperately wants people to like see him and be part of stuff uh, and then put that in a different, a slightly different voice so that, and then I think what's great about Alex Brightman's performance is that I don't think at any point do you feel like he's doing Michael Keaton. No, definitely not. It's his own Beetlejuice. No, he has created his own um, yeah. thing. Completely. And I think so, what I like about that is it's outside the uncanny valley of like, is this supposed to be Exactly. And you, right. you just immediately are like, oh, he's not. He's doing something different. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, their makeup tests supported that, too. I mean, there there, there were, you know, versions of this show where we tried to look on Alex Brightman that was more the canonical mm -hmm. uh, Beetlejuice. And I am here to tell you it was terrible. Really? <laughs> uh, did it not translate on a stage? It did not translate on a stage. Some of it is all. having to look at him for a whole show. Like again, he's in the movie for twelve minutes, and right? Like, and you aren't having to just literally watch him on because he was so gross looking. Yeah, really. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was him for Halloween last year. My girlfriend was Lydia. <laughs> yeah. And well, I had to do the 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 green ivy or whatever, uh -huh. or the, the moss on his face and yeah. the mold. Yeah. It's but the gross. Halloween costume aspect of it is something that we were really worried about. That's at right. First mm. Because it, he Beetlejuice is a very common Halloween costume. He's, it's iconic in that sort of way. Yeah. That was the interesting like, thing. Was the first time I saw him, I was like, oh, he's not actually competing with with uh michael keaton he's competing with everyone who's ever dressed up like Beetlejuice <laughs> for halloween yeah and so that was why he's like oh we need our own look to separate him from all of that because you, what you don't want is to come see beetlejuice and think of like oh it's my co-worker eddie <laughs> yeah and thinking like yeah i'm thinking like yeah we did that last year ours was better yeah right. like you know it's, it has to be something you know it has to be a, a new take and a lot of that is also uh, our costume designer will william ivy long who mm -hmm. made this this great yeah, it's obviously a genius yeah exactly. yeah it had such a foot in the original iconic design but it was completely yeah. and different and they went back the to time. like That's tim great. burton's That's early sketches oh wow and yeah. uh, like they went deep into his uh, into the Tim Burton archives to for both set and uh, costume. Oh, that's cool. Was V. Um, Neal involved in this production at all? She's the original special effects makeup artist who did no, Beetlejuice. No, no, no. We didn't. I don't think we had access to any of the like uh, the original movie designers yeah. in particular. Okay. But we did. We had access to to sketches and portfolios right. and things like yeah. that of things that yeah. uh, were. Uh, yeah, I mean, some if, of the hairstyles in the wigs are also from Tim Burton sketches. And, oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure you're tired of answering this question, but what has the response been from Tim Burton, if you've heard anything? I, he has not seen the show, um, as far as I know. He's doing, he's on the Dumbo circuit That's right, right now. He's been yeah. in London and, and he was making Lim. Dumbo and then, uh, but I don't know if he's coming to opening night or not. I'm not sure. I know his, his he definitely knows of it and, has, and, and has given his blessing. Yeah. Um, Very cool. So, uh, uh, I would love. I would love to sit right beside him while he watches. Oh, I would. That so would be cool. so comfortable. That would be great. You do that, and I'll hide in the mezzanine. So, what's next for you guys? Ghostbusters the musical? Or <laughs> That's what? right. We're not legally allowed to no. discuss Ghostbusters. <laughs> um, yeah, Ghostbusters. That's, that's we've we've marshmallow man explodes onto the audience. Oh, that would be cool. It'd be really cool. Cover everybody in actual yeah. marshmallow. That's it's going to be really expensive. So the rest of it will be very minimalist. The Ghostbusters mm -hmm. will just be at a, at a table in metal chairs. But then at the end, the <laughs> Stay Puft Man will come on and explode all over the audience. So you'll get your money's worth. It's like a one room play with all the Ghostbusters talking. <laughs> I can see it. It's no way dinner with Egon. There's just people coming into the firehouse going, that was crazy. Uh, <laughs> Tall Shakespearean acting. Yeah. What ho? <laughs> uh, a ghost, a specter outside. Yeah.
Tell I me what happened. Yeah. I can mm-hmm. totally see it. <laughs> so yeah, what are you guys working on next? Are you not I at am, liberty to uh, for theater right now? We we'll, we had a we have a couple things in the pipeline, but nothing that's like ready to announce. Um, and then we're both doing television. I'm. Uh, right now I'm working on a show for Comedy Central with uh, comedian Rory Scovel that'll be out next year. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, Scott's working on... Working on Castle Rock. Very and, cool. And uh, yeah. Hulu. I got a book out. Uh, oh, wow. That's, uh, yeah, it's a YA novel called uh, XL about a, uh, a really short kid. For all your listeners, I'm, I'm not short. I'm very tall. Very tall person. <laughs> so I had to dig deep for this. No, I'm extremely short. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it's a novel about a short kid who, like, grows from 4'11 to 7 feet in a year. Oh, wow. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's that. And uh, just, yeah, Castle very Rock cool. and... And this is kind of a weird question. You guys are obviously working on multiple things, all of which are creative simultaneously, and they're all in different phases. How do you guys kind of project manage your projects? (laughs) Great question. Do you use Excel? (laughs) Please tell me the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Do you Evernote users? It's literally waking up every day and going, what do I have to have done by the end of today? Got it. Yeah. I'll do it. (laughs) Whatever it is, I'll do it. You're basically asking two people who are falling down a long flight of stairs, like, (laughs) how do you do this? How do you hit every stair on the way down? It's like, well, it's easy. It's it's happy. Happening right now, <laughs> falling down the stairs like that's yeah, yeah very it's long just, days. Yeah, very long days. Got um, it. But it's fun. I mean, you can't. It's hard to complain when you're getting to do what you want to do. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just what we yeah. have been saying since we were 13, and now we get our wish, and we're <laughs> very very tired. Cool. <laughs> and last question: Any parting advice for people who want to do similar things to what you guys do, who want to write and you know get creatively involved with uh, with productions? Either on the stage or on the screen or I anywhere. Think to, for me, the thing would be: I think writing. A, if you finish anything, you are you've done more than ninety percent of people who try to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, take solace and 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 happiness in that, which means also keep finish it, even if it's terrible. Finish it, you especially if fix it's terrible. It. You can you always can't fix finish it. But it. You can't you fix, can't fix you it finished. if it's not finished. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's the biggest thing. And then I also think find a group of people who you like their sensibility and you can share things with hmm. because it's such a lonely thing and it's so isolating right. that you just need people that just that you can trust and that you that you also don't feel giant pressure from to mm-hmm. share things with in their you know when they're not finished right. uh, and can help and so if you can find your circle of friends your circle of peers that you have that with i think those are the keys to like getting better yeah people to fail with people to That's right. feel comfortable failing with and, yeah. and 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 failing again and again and again until yeah and, and and enjoying that. <laughs> yeah, I heard that's a huge part of it is just kind of having a, a mastermind. Like when George Lucas was writing Star Wars, his best friends were Spielberg, Coppola. That's right. And, yeah. and Brian De Palma. And they would right. all read his scripts and they all kind of molded it into what we know as Star Wars. That's right. And they can get together and go like, no, don't do that. Like, yeah. I don't think you should. And like fight about it and all that. Yeah. All of those things that uh, that you just need that feedback and you need those people that you trust. Yeah. Because that also keeps you going. Right. Um, you know, when you know, like, I'm going to see them, I was supposed to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and once you know them and you understand their sensibility and you work together enough to understand that, then their voice is in your head a little bit. So when you try something right. new, you can ask yourself, it's like, oh, I know Anthony would hate. This is something Anthony would hate. Why? And then you decide, is it because it's just not his thing or is it because it is bad and it just won't pass the test? Right. And then putting it through that is is uh, and having a lot of people like that is tremendously helpful because yeah. yeah otherwise you're on your own and 
you know, what you will either do is, you know, just talk to yourself or you will shut your stuff down mm. because right. you sense something is wrong, but you can't articulate what it is mm. and you're afraid of what it is. Right. Once you articulate what's wrong, everything gets a lot less scary. It's, it's writing and thinking something's wrong with this, but I don't know what it is. And then you eventually just stop. You just bail out and, right. never, and you never get a draft. Versus if you had a group of people, yeah. they got to be hard to find though now. Yeah, it can well, be. It can be. I mean, I was lucky enough to get involved at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater and kind of like find people through that. that mm-hmm. um, but I think I, I think whether it's just taking a writing class and trying to find people that way or just, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's ways to like to me, I think a writing class just gives you either deadlines <laughs> to make you write. <laughs> right. or also people that are interested in the same thing. And, you you know, it might take you a while to find people. But uh, I just think that like like Scott said, finding people to fail with is I think the key to to all creative arts. It's wow. the best thing in the world. It is just, you, if, yeah, and it does take a while to find. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of trial and error, and mm-hmm. like, but any communities of artists, sometimes if they're even adjacent communities, you might find writers in places. In a, you might might find writers in an acting class if you wanted to, or a comedy right. class, right. Or, or or playing music with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're you know finding people that that are creative who and and supportive, um, and you know, and weeding out the odd you know, um, underminer right. Um, right. is, uh, very important. Great. Awesome. Well, on that note, guys, it's a real pleasure. Thank, thank you, you so much. Huge thank congratulations you. on Beetlejuice. Thank it's you. so awesome. I was so blown away and thank you for such a great time. I'm definitely going to go see it again <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> <That's> great. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So let's dig into some of the key insights and pieces of advice from Scott Brown and Anthony King. Number one, find a writing group. So a very common piece of advice for mastery in any domain is to have a mastermind group. If you've read Think and Grow Rich, you've probably heard this principle before. Having a like-minded group of peers who you can turn to to give you feedback, inspiration, and share resources with is critical to success. This is probably most critical for writers. Multiple authors and screenwriters frequently have writing groups in which they have their work critiqued by others who they trust. Scott and Anthony credit this practice for enabling them to grow significantly as writers. Try to find or create your own writing group, even if it's just one person. For Stephen King, it's his wife. Number two, get comfortable being mad. Scott and Anthony have been collaborators for years, and they claim that the ability to get super mad at each other and then not take it personally is key to their collaboration. Do they always agree on everything? No. But to have a working, collaborative, professional relationship requires embracing and exploring conflict, which they do very comfortably. Number three, write to the end of each idea. So that major plot point, spoiler alert, in Beetlejuice where Lydia does not meet her mom was a big decision to be made. They consciously did not address this, and it ultimately made the story better and more honest. This plot point was in earlier drafts of the script, and by exploring it fully and thoroughly, Scott and Anthony realized that it had to be taken out. Had they not explored this plot point, had they not written it all the way to the end and seen how it melded with the rest of the story, they always would have been tormented by wondering whether or not it belonged in the story. They always would have been imagining this scene that could have been in this potential storyline that could have made the musical way better. However, 
Since they did write it all the way to the end, they were able to see that it didn't work. When writing a script or a story, certain plot points have to be explored to their very conclusion to know whether or not they fit into the larger story as a whole. Writers can only clearly see things like these retrospectively. In other words, you won't know what belongs in your story until you get to the very end of it. Scott even said, you can't fix it if it's not finished. So write all the way to the end, reevaluate, and then rewrite. Anyway, guys, once again, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with your friends and family on social media. And if you are in the tri-state area or considering a trip to New York, I implore you to go see Beetlejuice the musical. It was a blast. It will not let you down. And it is just such a treat for fans. Anyway, thanks a lot, guys. 